You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I'm your host, Justin, and I'm here with my spooky buddies, Jason and Dan. Hey. I will destroy you! So, to kick us off, well, today we're going to talk a little bit about I, D&D. I think we just got kicked off with that. I, we, we did. We did. <laughs> Uh, what, today, what today, am I gone? <laughs> yes, Can you hear me? We're all gone. Um, to today, we're going to talk about D and D, and it's taking over the world. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? We will discuss. Uh, but as we get into Geek Week, I want to tell you guys that I watched Hubie Halloween this weekend. Oh, the Adam Sandler movie. The new Adam Sandler movie, and let me yeah. tell you. I laughed pretty good. It made me, yeah, it was really stupid. I, but I fully expected that going in. You know, Um, there was some great uh, shout-outs to some of uh, Adam Sandler's previous films. Uh, The opening scene has uh, Ben Stiller with the Fu Manchu mustache and the orderly thing from um, Happy Gilmore. You know where his grandma was in the nursing home. uh He was this insane asylum attendant, and he comes in. He's like. Oh hey, I brought your food for you, and if you don't eat it, you know, I mean, like it was like the same <laughs> right. voice and everything. It was hilarious. Like I, I died laughing because um, there, you know, there's another part where some kids like, you know, hassle him, and then you hear him as they write off like go, "A Doyle rules," you know, <laughs> from Billy Madison. It was fantastic. So there's some great little shout-outs in there. Uh, overall, it's a pretty stupid movie, but I thought it was funny. There's some great, I mean, there's some great funny people in there. You got, uh, you know, Rob Schneider and um, uh, Adam Sandler, of course. You've got, uh, <laughs> dude, I'm just blanking on names right it's now. The, Holy the cow. Just check IMDb, folks. Yeah, the chick from, it's all good. Yeah, the, blonde, the chick from the yeah. mom. Yeah, um, uh, Claire. What's his whatever. name? Kevin James is in it. Uh, is Spade in it? Uh, Spade is not in it, but you've oh. got, um, but Spade. I mean, Spade has been in a lot of his recent ones, I guess. Yeah. Um, but you also had uh, Tim Meadows and Maya Rudolph. You had um, uh, Tim yeah, so you good. had a, you had a lot of great people in there. They were they were pretty funny. So all right, Hoobie Halloween, thumbs up. Stupid uh, thumbs fun. up. Yeah, stupid fun. Realize when you're going into it, like it's stupid. So I'm yeah. so but, behind know. on my stupid fun movie watching because I didn't watch Bill and Ted. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm way behind you in your the stupidity of your movie watching. Well, there you go. Uh, I will say this: my 11 year old thought it was hilarious. Okay. I mean, it was like right up his alley. Adam Sandler saves the day. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, yeah. So uh, with that, I, I'll I'll go. I'll do the rest of my stuff. I played uh, more Doom Eternal this week. Uh, Jason, I think you started playing it too, right? I did. Yes, absolutely. Oh, ooh, it's a good game. Yeah. I'm having a lot of fun with it. What do you think compared to the first one? Uh, I think it has a definite rinse and repeat feel, but there's a couple new things I really like. Like, I love the fast travel when you get near the end of a level. Uh-huh. So you can go back and try to find all those secrets. And yep. I love how the chainsaw, it constantly regenerates one unit of fuel. Oh, yeah. It's so good because I would run out. What level are you playing it on, by the way? Um, it's, uh, oh gosh, there's like t- so many different levels now. Yeah, I I'm felt like, I was kind of getting like a Diablo V3 feeling with torment yeah, levels and stuff. Right, right. Uh, I was, I was playing it under like one under nightmare, which I, I probably should have not gone that high. I think that's where I am too. I think I'm one under nightmare. I keep dying a lot. 
I had so I yeah I had a situation you know you can get extra lives and stuff yeah I was so pissed like I burned through like two extra lives in like ten seconds because I got into a situation where I was totally out of ammo there was a big baddie guy across the room from me I had no ammo and those guys take like three chainsaw fuels yeah and so I had I had nothing I could do he kills me and the extra life just respawns me like right in front of him. Ah, nice. And it's like boom, dead. Boom, yeah. dead. I'm like, no, yeah. no, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but the you know, worst, whatever. the worst is you pick up that extra life, and then I died doing the stupid jumping puzzles. Yep, yep. <laughs> and it used up my extra life, and I'm like, really? Great. Because yeah, I, cause I, cause I wasn't gonna need that during the boss fight coming up. Right. Punch. You know. So, uh, but yeah, it's a great game. Totally enjoy it. Been having fun. And uh, yeah. The other thing that I sort of got obsessed with, um, the book Winter Steel came out. This is the oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to look. It's like the tenth book in the series. No, it's book eight of eight of the Cradle series. Cradle book number eight. It's by an author named Will White. Um I don't know if he is 100% self-published. I think that he does use an editor. I mean, his writing feels like he uses an editor, you know. Um, but he's not super widely known, and I think he publishes mostly to, like, straight to Amazon. Like, he doesn't go through a um, – I don't think he goes through, like, a, a tour or, you know, Random House or anything like that to publish his books. So, you know, he's just kind of put pumping him out on uh, winter on um, Amazon. And I've got the Kindle Unlimited account that's like $10 a month, right? Or seven a month or something. And he, um, he's got all of his books on there. And he's got a couple of different series. I've read all of them and I've liked all of them. They're fun reads. They're easy, quick reads. Um, you know, I'm not... <laughs> You have to go into this realizing you're not getting like War and Peace or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or, or some sort of like, you know, Les Miserables by by Victor Hugo. Um, like it's a fun fantasy novel with uh, and Cradle especially. I think that this is his like kind of some of his different works that he has. Um, this series has been really good in terms of like it's got a really cool magic system. I, I don't know. Maybe we talked about this the last time, or like one of these podcasts ago. It's kind of got an Asian feel where it's like kind of chi style. Like you've got this sort of inner like the magic system is you have this inner core of what he calls madra, and it's energy that you can use to manifest different you know magic techniques yeah. that you then like fight against other what they call sacred artists. So it's almost like a kung fu, you know, Legend of the Five Rings style, like, you know, a lot of politics going on. This kid's, uh, you know, and a nobody from a nobody, nowhere valley gets caught up in the winds of change and, you know, kind of grows up and he's, uh, you know, a uh, got a lot of moxie and, and grit and kind of makes his way in the world and, you know, you go through all the fun hijinks with him so it's a great series um i really enjoy the writing i really enjoy the book i give it like two thumbs up it's got five stars on amazon right now and 1800 reviews cool so i'm looking at the book one right now on amazon yep it's cool yeah so they he's um come out with i think um a trilogy that's kind of like the um pre-gold and after gold or something like that cradle so yeah, it's pretty good. Great. Pretty good. I really enjoy it. Sweet. 
So, uh, let's see. The last thing that I have, um, the Space Marine Codex for Warhammer 40K came out this weekend. And I have been literally neck deep in Space Marine Codex trying to figure out everything that's going on, all the changes, how it impacted. I think I explained on the show before that I'm running a successor Space Marine chapter. So what that means is I get to paint my guys the custom way that I want to paint them. They don't have to be, you know, the blue for the Ultramarines or the black for Raven Guard or something like that. Because that would kind of lock them into that one specific chapter. Um, So I get to paint them the way I want to, but then I can say, hey, they are going to take on the... Um, traits of this chapter that you know that I like and I believe that I have chosen white scars is going to be the chapter that I'm going to run there's a cream um, you can get for that to make the white scars dissipate yeah. over yeah time. exactly <laughs> the ladies use that after they have babies it's good it's good stuff so the cool thing about this uh, so the cool thing about this white scars chapter is that they are based on the Mongolian horde um, and in fact like the uh, so the they're fast and deadly they are, yes. Mm-hmm. The um, the leader of the chapter is named Jogatai Khan. So every time Khan! something happens, exact, that's Khan! exactly what happens. Khan! Every time something <laughs> happens with him. So it's fantastic. There's some crossover there. But, uh, yeah, Jason, I really like him. The last time you and I played, I was playing with a salamander list. Mm-hmm. But they had changed a lot of what was going on there, so I wasn't feeling like, uh, I, I think they're still very strong, but it didn't play the way that I felt comfortable playing either. So the the advantages of the White Scars is that they get a move. Uh, they've got a lot of crazy movement, and that's, that, that's the way I like to play. I like to be able to get to where I need to be. Yeah, you gotta you gotta just play something that feels natural to you. If yeah. you keep trying to play an army just just to try to be the winning winning guy on the table, but it just doesn't feel natural, you're just not gonna enjoy the game. Right, right. And they're good. So you know, the funny thing is, is that I was playing, I was trying to play Raven Guard because they played similarly to my Night Hunt army for Age of Sigmar. Um, but I got to the point where I had changed the way that I was doing it so much that I actually wasn't using anything from Raven Guard, even though I was trying to use everything from Raven Guard. I was using literally nothing from them. And so I I talked to a guy that I had played against in that 40K league, and he's like, dude, you need to play White Scars because everything Hmm. that you are doing here screams White Scars, and you can actually take advantage of their chapter stuff, which you're not doing with the Raven Guard. Min Max! Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what you got to do, right? So I'm excited about it. Uh, the new codex has been really good. It's been uh, an inter- a bunch of interesting changes going on. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I need to start assembling some Space Marines. Hoorah! Yeah. Yeah. You know, that would be a good topic for a, uh, a podcast once, was uh, the effects of min-maxing in multiplayer competitive games. Yeah. Like, is okay. is that a is it is it have a positive effect? Like is it, you know culturally yeah. and socially yes, uh, it does. Help, Actually, you healthy know who, for Yeah, you game? know who would be a good uh person for that topic maybe is Matt Barker. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that dude is a great list builder. Yeah. He I really just put is. it on our on our on our open to- uh possible topics document. Yeah. Yeah. I put it at the top. Maybe I'll drop it in one of the. So sections. yeah, that was that was kind of my that was kind of my week. 
had had some busy personal stuff going on, but you know, like uh, still managed to fit in some Geek Week stuff. Good so, for you. Yeah, pretty happy. Dan, how you how, how was your Geek Week? Pretty good. Uh, lower Star Trek Lower Decks finished up, which is the first, uh, not the first, the second animated Star Trek series, but the first comedy series. It's kind of like Star Trek Next Generation plus Rick and Morty plus Family Guy because they're constantly referencing other hmm. types of Star Trek. If you really like Galaxy Quest and you like the genre making fun of itself, it works really great for that. And if you're a Star Trek fan and you've have two or three series under your belt, there's something for you. It's it's a great show. If you're not a Star Trek fan, if you've never if if it's never really gelled with you, there's other I, I would say look elsewhere. But um I, I like it. I I laughed out loud. I love all the callbacks and all of the Easter eggs. It's just an it's a, it, it is a love letter to fans because you can't really go five seconds without an Easter egg. Um so I, I dig it. I dig it. I dig it. So enjoy. And they just finished season one. So the, all, the whole season is available on CBS All Access. Uh, cool. Yeah, I GM'd uh, my Edge of the Empire campaign, which is going great. We're squeezing in an extra session, even though we did one on uh, Friday. We'll be doing another one one week later, which we almost never do, because certain people will be out of town in my house. <laughs> nice. Uh, but I did spill the beans that I was using Dungeon Discoveries to come up with these stories, because I had a player get really mad, because I had a, a bet, a, a, a bounty, a quarry, have some very heavy heavy weapons, and she's like, why are you using this against you know lower-level characters? I was like, well, I drew it randomly, and here you go. This is this is the system I'm using. Everybody in the everybody in the group thought I was great, even her. So um, I had to remind her that everybody uh, remembers the times where you almost die, or you do die, and nobody remembers the times when you succeed. That's right. So, um, and then that led to I was like, yeah, well, you know, I talked about it on our podcast. And they're like, wait, you're podcasting again? <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I had to spill the beans on the podcast. I'm like, I don't think I've talked about you guys as a group much. I don't think I have. I'm pretty sure oh I boy. Oh And they're like, Dan, what did you do? And I'm like, I don't know who, what, what I, you just have to remember, I've dated a lot of girls. I've been in a lot of <laughs> RPG groups. And if you think I'm talking about your group, I probably am not. So um, <laughs> My thing was, if you think I'm talking about you, I probably am. I probably am, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that led me to actually downloading our show and actually listening to it. So that's my <laughs> other geek, thing, geek Week thing. Nice. I'm slowly plowing through our own show. And what's the deal with the uh, mariachi ska music? Brother, <laughs> really? You, you're kidding me, right? Wow. <laughs> we ran this by you. Oh my gosh! I just, I just was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> which po- wow. Which podcast is this that you're participating in? How many yeah. In now? Well, yeah. there's this one of the hosts on the show. His name is Dan, and I agree with everything he says. <laughs> and sometimes he's about to say something, and I think of it before he says it on the show. He's got, he's got the most smooth voice. I know, and I just, well, I, I, I discovered I couldn't fall asleep to that voice because it would wake me up out of a dead sleep. <laughs> I fall asleep during Justin, and, and then I would hear my own voice and it would wake me up. <laughs> the other thing is that every time when you guys like pass me the invisible microphone, you go, Dan, it like, I think it's me. Like not Dan who's been recorded, but Dan right now. Oh, I feel no. like I have to say something like, oh, I, I got to be in- interesting now. 
Awesome. But I, I, I've taken the week off of work, and I'm hoping to finish 98% of my table this week. And in my ears, I will I will be catching up on every stinky episode of this wonderful podcast. Nice. I like to hear that. So I'll be thinking about gaming while building a game table. <laughs> That's the only way to properly, you know, craft the love into it, right? Yes. And like, I was I was doing that like this weekend. Mozart for Mozart for like embryos, you know? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Didn't they, didn't they prove that that isn't accurate? Come on, why are you pooping yeah, on why, my why, 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 Jason, why? <laughs> why? So that we what don't have to d- just fund money to this baby Mozart company for nothing. What it does is, is it gets me excited about gaming again, even though we're not gaming because of freaking COVID-19. So it's yeah. a good thing. It's good thing. All right, I'll stop talking now. I ended up to Jay. Jay, wake up. Listen to your listening to the show. Jay. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say I listen to, I cherry pick um, an episode here and there to listen to just to make sure that the sound recording went okay and all that stuff. But uh, it is interesting. I find myself kind of listening back to some of the topics that we had. I think we hit a good broad number of topics on this show. But uh, anyone that, you know, a shout out to anyone that's listening. If you have any ideas, you know, send us a, send us a message via social media or whatever to give us some ideas. Because we're clearly running, we, we're yeah. clearly running out of bad, good ideas. We're clearly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we need to we need to start listening to the show to make sure we're not recycling on accident. Well, Whoops. we do a lot of that. I've discovered, and I'm part of oh, the problem. Yeah. I keep hearing myself make the same arguments. Yeah, we'll and talk I think, about these books we've read. Yeah, yeah. three well, times over. There's a lot of news nuggets that we have this week that are callbacks all the way back to the beginning of the show. So, oh anyway. wow, yeah, wow, all right. So I played Doom Eternal this week as well. We talked about that. Uh, I started reading or listening to a new audiobook called Hinch by, okay. uh, let's see if I get this right, Natalie yeah. Zena Walshots. Are you sure that's the pronunciation? Stop it. That is it. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, it's a fun book. Um, it's nothing, I will say that it's not super unique. It's basically like if you think The Incredibles uh, the beginning of the Incredibles movie, where you've got all you've got like you know a ton of superheroes and a ton of supervillains, and um, remember the theme of the Incredibles was that uh, the supers like you know they 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 got in trouble because people started to realize hey maybe they're like you know saving us when we don't want to be saved and and all this stuff. Well, in Hinch, you take a little bit of the same role, but you take. Um, you're listening behind the eyes of this girl who uh, doesn't work for the superheroes, but she works for the supervillains through a temp agency. So oh, the yeah. supervillains have these huge, you know, corporations that run their villainous deeds, and they need employees. And they go to temp agencies and they get their employees, and employees try to get, you know, they're competing for full-time jobs, and it's like the job of like a measly accountant or like you know a data miner or stuff like that, but. What's funny is the way that she paint the the author paints the heroes in this book is she paints them very much as these bulldozing, you know, huge damage destructing um, uh, uh, things that come in to save. You know, they'll come in to save like a little boy, and they'll end up like tearing down a building that'll put like you know fifty people out of work for like three years. And um, but the villains are running like proper like businesses. And they provide like dental care for their <laughs> nice. employees, you nice. know, and everything. So you get very early on, you get this impression that the villains are providing like, you know, an actual like on the up and up businesses, even though they may be like, you know, plotting to dominate the world. Yeah. Whereas the heroes are just running amok and just like destroying the world. 
So this uh, the main the main chick. This is what's kind of interesting. The main chick at the very beginning of the thing, she's working with this villain, and she just kind of gets caught in between a rock and a hard place. And these superheroes come in to try to save the day, and she happens to be in the building. And one of the superheroes just like totally like like hand bats her out of the way to get to the bad guy, and like you know shatters her femur. Oh, so she's up in the hospital for like you know a really long time, and while she's there. You know, the cops come in and they interview her and she's like, they're like, well, you know, how did the villain break your leg? And she's like, the villain didn't break my leg. The superhero broke my leg. And they're like, whoa, you probably just didn't realize what was happening. So you're telling me you still haven't watched Venture Brothers yet? Oh, I know. Is... I'm, I'm working on Venture Brothers. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so there's a lot of Venture Brothers in what you oh, just yeah. said. So I'll shut up. Yeah. Now. So what go, what's going through? This is she starts to run the numbers, right? She says, "Well, all right, let me let me think about this one superhero named Super Collider, who's like an invincible bullet guy." And she runs the numbers and finds out, "Gosh, this guy has caused like, you know, like some odd, you know, millions of dollars of damage. Um, he's he's cost like if you if you equate that to like the life of people, he's caused like you know 175 like years of life." from the people that were not involved in the crime and all the stuff. She runs these numbers and starts posting a blog that shows that the superheroes are doing way more damage than they are good in the world. <laughs> like immensely yes. more damage than they are good. In she the sounds world. like she's been running the, uh, the, the actuarial tables, yeah. the insurance. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of the premise behind the book. It's like, if you ever want to read something where you want to root for the bad guy and the bad, you know, the bad guy's actually legit. <laughs> This is that this is that kind of book. It's it's a straightforward book. There's nothing special about it. The writing's the writing's so so. It's interesting, um, but it's a it's a fun ride. Uh, I, I would recommend. It's only like a ten hour audio book, so it's not a hard a hard catch there. But uh, yeah, anyway, there, there's, so there's uh, the, the darkest possible version of this is the boys, right? Which did you finish this week? Did you <clears throat> I'm I'm cut up. Nobody You're should ever up. watch that show. <laughs> I'm cut up. Nobody should ever watch it. It's terrible, <laughs> especially if my kids are listening to me listening to this podcast. In the Let me tell you, the show. ending was pretty epic. <laughs> it was a great this like this was a great ending to the season. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, so, I'm not. I'm, I'm, we're I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> no spoilers. We're not taking ending. it. We're not taking over Jay's Geek Week. No, no, no. no that's, that's but it was fine. good. It was. The, it was a good one. There's very similar themes. If you're yeah, playing with absolutely. the ideas of, of in a world we all fantasize about comic book justice, but you know, there's a reason why we don't have it. It's be, well, except yeah. for the superpowers, obviously, is because it would have very strange consequences. Would you right. say would you say that the Punisher was one of the one of the first ones to sort of break away from this idea of like good vigilante justice? Mm. Oh, the Watchmen did for sure. Um, I I think we probably would be amiss if we would say that because I think there has been a lot of comics before the Punisher's time that probably were playing with dove the into idea. that. Yeah, playing with that idea. Well, and I don't, okay. I don't claim to be the like Watchmen? a real. Would you say the Watchmen? Because that was a big one in 1984. That was yeah. like anti-hero heroes. Yeah. But, but if you when did the the Punisher predates uh, the Watchmen? Doesn't he? I don't think so. Watchmen was 1985. Hmm. 
Well, I mean, right, anyway. the, anytime you factor in kind of this cynical yeah. out, outlook, it, 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 it has its own interesting storytelling hooks. I mean, it's really his first appearance was 1974. C74. Oh wow, yeah, he okay, predates yeah. them. I thought I thought he was. And the Watchmen was 1988, 1987, somewhere around the early yeah, yeah. mid early 80s. There's this great bit in Venture Brothers where Captain Sunshine, who's the superhero analog uh, and Batman analog, because he always has a, a boy wonder, right? And uh, he tries to drop off the monarch, who is a classic, who's the main bad guy in the whole, the main villain in the whole series. He tries to just drop him off in the yard of the prison, like Superman did, and like Superman too. And and the monarch walks out. He's like, Captain Sunshine has never heard of due process. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so I guess I would say that you know I I would absolutely not feel qualified to state when the first of something like this showed up in the comic book world. Um, I know Wolverine is another one that might be able to fit that kind of a bill. Yeah, um, and he was an early. He's in the 1970s as well. Was when he kind of showed up. Uh, I think there's a lot, a lot that could be kind of shown to that the Hulk would be a good example too. I mean, the dude who loses control and can cause just devastation. Yeah. At mm. times, but it's it's a, it's something that's definitely been touched on um, for a long time. This book just kind of takes a fun approach. It's yeah. a modernized version too, like so she uses and there's there's all sorts of references to like you know uh, modern social media platforms like Twitter and that kind of stuff that she uses to build her social network. Yeah. So it's an interesting read. The yeah. last thing that I did this week um, was uh, there's a application called uh, IVRY. Um, <clears throat> remember last uh, last time I was on, I was talking about how I was looking at the relativity, a yes. uh, HMD that you could build your, yourself and open an open uh, sorry open HMD uh, build and um, for VR. And I was looking at it, kind of comparing the price and thinking, gosh, you know, for the price to build this, you might as well just buy an Oculus uh, because it was getting right. pretty close. An Oculus Quest too, because it was getting close to the same price. So then I was like, dude, what the crap? I mean, like, we've got our phones. Can this has someone has got to have written a Steam VR driver for your cell phone? Because you can do like Google Cardboard, you know, and stuff like that. So I went online, and sure enough, somebody has written a Steam VR driver that uses Google Cardboard uh, services on your phone. So I put my cell phone inside my own little Google Cardboard HMD, plugged it into my computer, and loaded up this driver and was able to play all the VR games from Steam using no my cell phone. Way. So I'm like, gosh, man, like it's just, it's getting so much easier now to enable that technology for people because everyone's got a smartphone. Yeah. Everybody's got a smartphone and I don't yeah. have a top of the line smartphone because my dog bit through my real one. So I've got a, <laughs> I've got a, a Q7 plus LG Q7 plus, which, you know, it's not a very expensive one and it was running the, you know, no, no choppiness in the frame rate or anything. It was, it was totally fine. Yeah. That's when you get a new dog or you get rid of the dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, topic for another story. But anyway, so yeah, I think, um, it was, I was just really interesting. I V R Y. You can look at it in the Steam store. It's like it's free, um, or it's like eight bucks for like you know to unlock all of the features or something like that. So stupid cheap if you want to just toy with VR and you don't feel like dropping you know two three hundred dollars on an HMD. Just pay twenty some bucks to get a Google Cardboard, stick your phone in it, and pay eight bucks for this this app, and you're golden. That's great. Nice. Yeah, good stuff. So cool. That's it for me. Yeah, if you've already if you already have a nice phone, why not use it? 
Yeah, exactly. All right, let's get well, into the news. Yes, Gamer news coming to you now. All right. I thought about um, editing out that one episode where you kind of did a little do 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 and like cutting that into every news segment. But, don't uh, you might have just given me a new one. That sounds like a lot of work, and I don't want to give you any work. <laughs> That's why it hasn't happened. We I could, mean, I kind of like the ad lib each time. You know, it's different. Each <laughs> That's time. true. Every time. Bong 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 bong. News. 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 All right. Dungeons and Dragons removed negative racial ability score modifiers. News at 11. Ah, they did it, huh? Until recently, kobolds and orcs also included a negative, negative one point to intelligence for orcs and a negative one point strength for teeny kobolds. Even the orcs' other racial ability menacing was also removed. It leaned into a negative stereotype. The idea that biology determines character abilities does not represent the idea that kobolds are weaker than orcs. So long story short. Okay. I'm trying to think of how I feel about this. Now you can have a a level 20 strength kobold and a 20 intelligence. That doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. Like, I I understand. I understand. I understand from, like, maybe uh, an intelligence or charisma. We just lost six listeners. Stop it. You love this. I'm not going to. They're dropping. They're dropping. I'm seeing them now. Oh, man. The idea of strength. We don't have the luxury for you to have an opinion on this story. Dude, you know what? The cobalt, level 20 strength cobalt is like that jacked kangaroo picture. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Why not? Why not? Because they're like three feet tall. They can't be as strong as like a giant orc. Well, it's all relative, man. I mean, an an ant can lift its, uh, you know, a hundred times his own weight. Maybe his own weight is like a gram. I know, (laughs) dude. I I just, I'm just the newsman here. You guys can beat this one around. But uh, it is an optional rule set in the um, upcoming uh, Terra's, I even forgot the the book that's coming out in pretty soon. I'll have to that up real quick anyway are, are we going to get to the point to where it's like those other like games where it's like pick your race by the way your race doesn't matter at all in the mechanics of the game right. just pick your race there we just go your, yeah yeah well, uh, come on i mean if uh we'll get into this in the main topic how about that okay all right yeah because i think this is there's a, there's a lot of conversation here but then we don't have to do a podcast anymore. We Let's just, just talk, talk about this for 45 minutes right now. Let's just talk. <laughs> It'll just be us three talking to each other and putting it right. on the internet with no one listening. All right. This harkens back to some of our earlier episodes. We've been talking about Baldur's Gate 3, but after a long wait and a week's delay, Baldur's Gate 3 is now available on Steam for PC and Mac and Google Stadia. Uh, it's important mm-hmm. to note that the game is in early access, meaning it's basically a beta version of the game. So expect bugs. Did you see some of the reviews coming out for it, though? No. They were not good. Not good. Ooh. No, like some of the people out there were like, this is the most boring thing I've ever played. Ooh. Wah, yeah. Wah. And, and, it, and, and it wasn't even like, oh, my gosh, it's so buggy. They, like, that was to be expected and, you know, stuff. They're just like, I have zero, like, feelings about any of the characters I'm playing. Yeah. It's all in the writing, man. Like, RPGs just, are hard yeah. to write. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially what, when you can create like so many different characters, and you know what I mean. Yeah. So. Yeah. Why do you think Mass Effect went for so many sequels? The writing was rock solid, and some it of was. those just have Super marvelous good. writing. 
Okay, so this is good news for um, a couple of people on this podcast. The 2020 Origins Award winners have been announced. And, oh, sorry, I'm sorry. And the winner for best role-playing game was Teens in Space. Interesting. Teens in Space. Teens in Space is the sci-fi focused role-playing game using the same system as Kids on Bikes. Yep. Both from Renegade Game Studios. Other winners include Best Board Game, Tiny Town, Best Card Game, Point Salad, both from AEG. The Quacks of Quidlinburg from North Star Games is the best family games. And the best miniature game went to War Cry from Games Workshop. Great game. So good. Yeah, you, we've got two Warcry owners on this call. Not three. I don't have it. Why should I? These guys also bought it. Looks like, <laughs> right? it, looks like points, it looks like Point Salad is kind of like that sushi game we played. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sushi Go. Yeah. 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 So I am I was really excited to see Warcry make the win, make that win, because um, I had, every time I played it, I've always really enjoyed it. And, um, I, I I think it's great, and I'm I'm glad it won. I have I have a feeling I, I've been thinking about this with Warcry for a little bit. Um, and for the record, we've talked about it a lot, but we've never really done a good deep dive into it. So that might be another podcast in the future. Warcry. Um, but uh, I will say that um, <clears throat> I feel like it gets overshadowed, obviously, by its bigger brothers of you know Age of Sigmar and Warhammer 40k. Didn't and, we talk um, about it when we did skirmish games? Uh, I mean, we touched on it. Like, I think we 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 didn't ever really get into the mechanics and things. The which deep I think dive, would be yeah. interesting. Yeah, deep dive. But um, I I think that it gets overshadowed, and because there is this, um, I, I think with Games Workshop, you either love them or you hate them, kind of thing. You know, like you're either into it and you're like, okay, I know that I'm going to pay a lot for Little Plastic Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I know that there's Reaper out there, but I'm buying Games Workshop quality and yep. I'm, you know, playing their games. So like you either buy into the system or you don't. Like there's nobody who's sort of like in the middle, I guess, maybe artists. But I think Warcry, unfortunately, would have large, broad appeal to a lot of people out there. But... Because it's a war, Games Workshop product, so, um, those people who are sort of got a negative stance on GW, um, well, they don't buy they into don't, it as much. Some what they don't print on the any of the boxes is this how much this is how much money you need to sink in to have a fully yes. satisfying experience. Yep. And Warcry is not as bad as 40k or right. or, or, or yep. Age of Sigmar, yep. and I don't know how to. I, they just need word of mouth or something to explain that. I I don't know how you would explain that. I mean, let's say I got on a Warcry kick and wanted to go buy the the core box, and yep. that's all I wanted, and I wanted those two sets of units, and I wanted to paint them and call it a standalone uh, two player game. What am I? What What am I looking at? 120 to 150. Okay. And that's not terrible considering other games that I bought. Well, and you get so much terrain with it too. The terrain, yeah. And the terrain's great. A lot of it. And dice, you get dice and a ruler and tokens and rule sets and books and all that. Stuff. Every everything you need. So you're yep. you're into about 150 bucks. Well, yep. I mean, that's uh, that's what I would expect to pay for a large games workshop box, even yep. I'd expect to be in the 200 range for something. So I, there's just nothing on there that says this is the only thing you'll need to buy if you don't want to get into this game. Right. 
And there's a lot of there's a lot of Games Workshop stuff that should have a warning label on about how much how much the addiction is going to cost you. <laughs> the problem is, is it's limitless. Yes, you it's know, like... I just dro- I just dropped another like hundred and fifty dollars this week on more Little Plastic Men. Oh, good for you, yeah. good yeah. for you. Well, speaking of Little Plastic Men, we'll move on to our next news item. Hero Forge officially launched version 2.0 of its website to create custom miniatures made to order. In addition to an upgraded user interface and additional options for clothing, accessories, poses, body types, and more, this new upgrade allows you to order your miniature in full color. They're not cheap with color plastic mini starting at $44.99. But there are a a large number of options, not just for colors, but also effects like metal, cloth, plastic, wood, and other fine details for $44.99. We have talked about this in episodes past. So if you're here for episode 30, so if if you're here at episode 30 and you heard us in episode two or three talking about one, two or three talking about this one. um, You know what, though? This is expanded. Because when they originally did it, yeah, they were going to be in color, but the idea of having like metal, cloth, and plastic and wood, that's new. And that's cool, but dude, $45 for a mini? Yeah, and that doesn't come off the printer like that. I believe, now I don't, I could be, t- I could be give, passing misinformation, but when I read up about it last time was that they would take the color mini off the printer and then hand it to somebody who would hand paint some of it. Oh, um, and I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I could. I be think wrong. they do have a painted commission. I, yeah, I think built they did too. Now. They had an option. They had an option to do color like resin, and then they had an option to do painting stuff. Yeah. I think that forty-five dollars for a Hero Forge mini is a little pricey. What do you get out of that? You've been able to customize the race, <gasps> the face, the expressions, yep. the yep. weapons, the height. The width you can get a big miniature printed you can get a small one printed now you can get a printed color it is not cheap i mean there's a lot of things i mean i i spend money on minis and if i was going to drop 45 dollars on minis i would want them pre-painted and i'd want about two dozen sure. of them i'd want about two dozen for that price but then i i don't get to customize anything i don't customize them at all that's right. the way i game and i'm just looking for ones that match what i need or are a proxy for what i need Right. Um, this is like this, or as the topic tonight, we're going to talk about D and D destroying the world. Right. This is a this is an artifact of that because it's like you fall in love with your character. You're at level five. Your GM thinks you guys are going to get GM with this group for another five years and get to level twenty. It doesn't make any sense not to print your mini. Uh, if you don't have access to like if you're a 3d modeler and you're a painter and you have a 3d printer you've already spent that 44.99 a lot already someplace else but if you haven't done any of that if you're a guy like me and let's say we let's say the three of us got three other friends together and committed to a three-year DD campaign no less than three years definitely twice a month i would i i could consider buying buying one of those for 44.99 I just think, so I think that what you're doing, I mean, retail for the custom pose and the, um, let's see, custom pose, some of the printed ink, you know, the the colored ink stuff or uh, resin, sorry. I think that's like $20, isn't it, that they printed out for you? Just that, not yeah. painted. Yeah, unpainted, so yeah. So you're paying, you're paying $25 for someone to paint it for you, which... 
Now, let's say I don't, this is Dan today. I don't know how to go commission a mini painting. I don't know. I wouldn't know who to call. I wouldn't know. Right. I wouldn't know where to poke around on Craigslist or Etsy or wherever to get that thing done. I I don't know how to walk into the seedy side streets of gaming to ask for somebody (laughs) to, to turn a painting trick for me. I literally have no idea. But would I hand them $45 plus shipping? Yeah, I'm, I would be a coin toss. But I would have yeah. to like be a guarantee that I would be playing that character for three and listen, years. For for the record, the standard I would say the standard calculation for a painting commission is usually one hundred percent of retail. Ah, there you so, go. So like if you buy a four dollar mini, expect to pay four to six dollars to get it painted. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Because it's a small usually it's a small D and D mini that I could do. Um, you know, like I could paint a tabletop plus standard in one evening on one miniature, you right, know, right. that's not a big deal. It's, you know, but then you go to paint a 2000 point army and war in Warhammer. And that's like $500 worth of retail. Yep. You're looking at 500 to a thousand dollars worth of painting, depending on your standard that you Jeez. want, you know? So, um, so I don't know. I feel like 20, 20 to $25 that follows the model of like how much the retail is. But I also feel like, um, twenty dollars for a miniature. It's out there, but it's yeah. But you know that's... what's hilarious is I if I look at my little gray guys that I have to assemble myself and I do the calculation, yeah. some of them might be twenty dollars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But they're also like, well, I'm looking at one right now on my shelf. It's like a giant vehicle, not giant, but it's a big vehicle, and that sucker was sixty dollars, mm-hmm. sixty just him. But he's also like five times the size of like one of these like little you know and we keep forgetting that there is a huge percentage of gamers myself largely included i will elect myself the president that suck at painting miniatures that just suck at it and so uh, is it you want them you don't want the gray plastic nobody does yeah you know yeah so I, yeah. I could see myself doing it, but I would not do it for anything that wasn't my player. I, like as a GM, I wouldn't print up the party and say, oh, look, I made you a miniature because we're all, all in this party together. Hell no. Yeah. I, I would not yeah. do that. I would I would open up a bucket of minis and say, well, that guy looks like he's close to your character. Use him. Right, right, right. And some games are more mini heavy. Some RPGs are more mini heavy than others. Some some GMs don't even want to put minis out there, and it's kind of a, it would be a huge waste for that kind of yeah yeah. Next news item: the Kickstarter for the Stargate SG One role playing game is now live and already funded. The game uses a modified version of the Five E rules, featuring classes leveling after fifth level. Oh, featuring classless leveling, I apologize, after fifth level. New encounter types beyond combat, including convince, research, and development, aerial combat, pursuit, firefight, and more. A campaign system to structure games like a TV series, facility building mechanics, and a new initiative system, and more. So, looks like 5e was a starting point for something else to be built on top of. Did you guys really watch the SG-1? Uh, did I did for a while. It? Yeah, I, I, uh, I when it came out, I was I was following it. I don't know that I watched one episode of that. Yeah, I I I, I loved the movie. I love Stargate. The know, movie but... was great. Yeah, I I sat yeah. next to somebody at work who was really into Stargate, 
And I'm like, yeah, I watched the first season or so, but I never, never really stuck with me. And she's like, are you kidding? It's MacGyver in space. <laughs> so she was a MacGyver fan. All right. Um, okay, next, last news item. Sometimes a setting has a title that tells you immediately if it's something you'd be interested in. And Nazi Dracula Must Die is oh, one of those titles. The alternate reality World War II campaign setting for 5E is probably exactly what you pictured from that title. A setting, uh, a setting full of occult, weird science, and pulp adventure. Cool. Those Nazis are so hot right now. Nazis are so... <laughs> Thank you, Mugatu. Yeah, exactly. I, seriously, doesn't it feel like everything was like, oh my gosh, a Nazi. Like, Let's fight Nazis. Yeah, <clears throat> the, the artwork for it is very cartoony. It's very cartoony and fun. What's it, someone once... I, and I, Man, I wish I could know the quote, but somebody once said once that like all conversations eventually devolve into politics or Nazis. Not politics or Nazis. Well, isn't there a rule? Isn't that an internet rule? Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All arguments devolve. Yeah. So uh, what's fun about a game like this is that... Oh, God wins law, sorry. God wins law. God wins law. <laughs> and it's uh, an, an internet adage asserting that as online discussion grows longer, the probability of a comparison involving Nazis or Hitler approaches one. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. So it, it, uh, this is like Indiana Jones. Nobody ever gets upset when you put a bullet in a Nazi in a game or a movie. Yeah. So, yeah. And if it's a Nazi Dracula, double shoot, you know, no problem. So if if you have groups that are squeamish about violence, you know, people after you take on a village, of, a, a band of kobolds that attack you, and you have somebody in the group is like, well, what if, they, what if we needed to understand them better? Um, that won't happen because nobody nobody can empathize with Nazi Draculas. Dude, if you've ever been caught in one of those crazy cobalt traps that are out there, you can't empathize with cobalts either. Yes. They're mean little buggers. Uh, uh, the second D&D episode of uh, the comedy sitcom Community deals with the interrogation of two cobalts and it is so hysterical. You can you can load up that episode on Netflix and just go to the interrogation of the Cobalts. It we, will drive you insane. It is so we've funny. got we've got the community D and D sessions as one of the topics on our thing. Maybe we need to do some homework oh, this man. week. And, and I, I, that would be a very lighthearted episode, and I I would be so excited. It, it was littered. The first one was on my DVR for like two years. I never deleted it. I, I had to upgrade my DVR and get rid of it. That's that's when it went away. Is I had to hand the DVR back to the cable company. Nice. Well, it's on Netflix now, isn't it? Yeah, it's no longer DVR unnecessary. Yeah, sweet. Awesome. Dan, thank you for the news. Lots of good stuff. Um, But those last two topics you talked about, the Stargate SG-1 role-playing game and the Nazi Dracula Must Die are both examples of what we're talking about in our main topic tonight, which is D&D Destroys the World. Main Uh, topic, 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 topic. What do we what do we mean by that? D and D destroys the world. Well, you wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I wrote it based on something you said uh, two weeks ago, but uh, I I think basically what we're trying to say here is that D and D is the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room, and um, it is the juggernaut of RPGs, and other RPG systems are starting to bow down before it. Yes. Is that fair to say? Yes. Um, 
Yeah. What do you mean by bow down before it? It's okay. So he, let's give some examples of what we're talking about. Uh, yeah. Let's look at games that would maybe their writers would have invented a system, but are just going to use the D and the five E mm. open mm-hmm. game license instead of trying to come up with a new rule set. And so let's let's take this uh, example of the SG1 Kickstarter. They took the basic yeah. rules and it freaking doesn't work for Stargate SG1. So they've had to make up a bunch of bolt-on stuff on top of the core, you know, the, the core stats and all the open g- gaming lights and the hit points and all the basic things of OGL. Well, couldn't you have just written a custom RPG that suits your IP? Why yeah, are you close? Why, you could have written something close too, right? Right. Why are you starting? Why is a five E the starting place? Okay, and and look at what um, Monty Cook has done. He's porting all of his content into five E from Numenera, right? Out of an out of a system that he designed that he was really proud of. We all hated it, but nonetheless, he still port. He's still porting everything into five E. Mm. So what if that be? It, it, what if 5e becomes kind of a, a default for what a role-playing game system is? Kind of like the monopoly paradigm of roll two dice and walk around a, yep. a board has yep. been for board games for uh, a long, 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 long time. Yeah. So instead of D and D, you've got um, Stargate D and D. You've got Hellboy D and D, which is another one that's using the 5e license, right? You've got, um, you know. All of these other D and D skins, essentially, you know. I mean, there was that, a Lord of the Rings version that had like you know yep. sixteen hardbound books because they had their own RPG with their own the One Ring, and they're like, well, we gotta sell this stuff. So basically, they sold the, they sold the same book that they had for the One Ring, and they went through and changed all the stat blocks to Five E, yep. and sent them to Hardbound Press. And I was gonna get some of them, but they they were losing the license, so that that swit that sniffs of a dead game. So I kind of went away. So the so I think that there there's two things that are going on here, right? One, I think you hit the head on uh, you know the nail on the head where you said um, somebody could come up with their own RPG, but since there's the open game license and because people know what it is, it's just easier to put a new skin on it, right? And sure, you may have to adapt some things to cover classes or, you know, certain uh, powers or magic that, that people may have. So you're going to have to, you know, put some, you know, put some add-ons in there and some, some duct tape and bubble gum to hold it all together. But, you know, gosh darn it, it's a playable game. Um, the, the other thing I think that is going on is that um, there are people who have put the time and effort in there and they've kind of peaked out on their content, right? So I think Monty Cook's Black Sun Games is a great example of this, right? So he had this whole, or was it called the Black Box? or I think it was Black Sun, wasn't it? Black Sun, yeah. Anyway, but it came in a black box and all this, and, and there was a whole bunch of maps and all this content and all this stuff, and people were using the you know the, uh, the, the cipher system and all that stuff. But I think Monty said, okay, you know what? Um, at a certain point, people aren't buying that much of my content anymore. I, you know, Maybe he hasn't been putting it out as much, or maybe it's just sort of peak, like it was really cool and interesting and a novelty in the beginning. So he sold a lot in the beginning, but not much is happening since, you know, sort of tapered off. And, uh, so I think that there are some authors and companies out there 
that see the 5e as sort of a revival for their product right this is yeah. a way to sort of get the buzz again you just the second squeeze at the lemon exactly i mean you know and maybe it's not just a lemon maybe they're literally squeezing blood from a stone here but mm. you know like they're they're just getting that last little bit out while they can because you know they don't have to write the whole content over again it's just easier to port over stat blocks and a couple of mechanics and maybe they don't want to have to teach anybody a new mechanic um and there's a learning curve maybe going to gen con is just so tedious for them because like okay this is how you play the game yeah and two hours in the people are still still asking the same question like wait what do i roll to hit again so (laughs) i mean i'm gonna go off on a rant here people buckle up I am not a fan of the D20 probability curve. I think it sucks. I think it's just a proxy for a D100, and a D100 is just a golf ball, and a, D, a D20 is basically the same thing. Um, it just drives me crazy that the pendulum can swing so widely with D20 rolls. And so the game used to be about overcoming that. Used to be, you, you get as many plus twos, plus three, plus threes built up so you could compensate for that variance in the d20 roll i just i just don't like those curves i i find that 2d6 is more interesting than 1d20 quite frankly um it's like oh you got a 20 that's a critical but only in a combat check and oh you got a one and that's a um what, what do you call that in 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 dnd would you get critical a one fail. critical fail but not on a skill check and right. it just seems it's really, really, really dull, and it feels arbitrary. And one of the problems is, is sometimes you wait so long to roll that d20, and it fails on you. It just, it just, it feels crappy to get a low roll on a d20. Yeah. In in a way that it doesn't feel crappy, maybe in other systems. I do like systems where you have to pick up handfuls of dice. I'm very. Uh, that's how I started role playing. I I never started with the d20 system. I started with the d6 system. And how good you were was how many D6s you got to put in your hand. And yeah. that was a fun probability curve. You could say, okay, well, I know I'm going to get some ones, but I'm going to get some sixes and a lot of yada, yada, yada. So I, I am I am not a fan of everybody just using 5e for everything because I think it's it's lazy math in my opinion. And that's just my opinion. And I, I, I want to see other, other mechanics come into play. I tend to agree with you on that. Um, having played so many different systems over the year, and I'm very much, whenever I talk with people, I'm very much um, not an opponent of 5e, but uh, maybe a proponent of other systems. Um, I've, I've, I was just recently um, at a dinner when I was out on travel. I was at a dinner with some people that we were traveling with that I'd not met before. And, you know, you, you kind of pay attention to how things are going in the conversation. And I brought up the, uh, hey, I, um, I'm building a table in my, in my basement. And they're, you know, kind of gauging their interest and then i say yeah i'm building it so you know can have game nights and stuff and then they peaked up and then that helped me kind of lead into eventually finding out that they play role-playing games ah there <laughs> and you go. So, okay i'm at a work event and i found an opportunity to talk about this Yay. so uh but come to find out these guys you know they've been playing they've been playing dungeons and dragons for about five or six years since they were in college and they were like, yeah, do you play Dungeons and Dragons? I was like, well, you know, I used to here and there, but I play a lot of other systems. And then for about an hour at dinner, you know, we were able to talk about all these different systems that exist. And these guys were kind of like, this is really interesting, you know? Mm. And it's talking about yeah. there's different mechanics versus just rolling a D20. We talked about the um, uh, the story dice, 
Mm, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, very interesting. How you can succeed with threat and stuff like that, and uh, you know the different initiatives that are in the different mechan- just all the different mechanics. Yeah. Um, and I think it's you know I, I always have these conversations with people. I say I like Dungeons and Dragons. I've always liked Dungeons and Dragons, but I really like trying new things to see the creativity that our industry has in it. Yeah. And even if I'm only going to do a one shot, I'm going to play this once just to try it and. Ex- experience it gives me some more experience to have a good a good time when i come to the table to play dungeons and dragons again later yeah and i think they were i think i felt like it was a success i said hey next time you guys see a convention you know when all this covid stuff is kind of hopefully gone gotten past us um check it out go to a convention and try it force yourself to try a new system and see if you like it and then you know you'll know yeah and and i'm with you dan i think that the I'm getting a, it's getting a little old just rolling to D20 and adding a stat to it. Yeah. And um you know, it's nice to see some of these new things. The story dice in my mind are some of the best innovation that has come to role playing games in a long time. Oh, uh, yeah. to be able to roll and to kind of give the player an opportunity to create a to create their own response to the scenario regardless of how good or bad the dice roll. Mm. It helps people feel like they are engaged regardless of the outcome of that dice that's true so so why do you think then i mean i and i mean i think you answered part of this you know i personally i like the d100 games i think that there's a lot of opportunity for um, manipulation of different skills so you're doing something harder it makes it a harder challenge but i recognize that that's also just percentile you know i mean the d20 is a certain percentile um you know like where where the um d100 might be a scalpel the d20 is like a machete yeah, yeah. you know in in terms yeah. of the percentile so i get it you know and and i think that there's you know different systems that's really not the topic here but um why do you think that the d20 system that 5e has really cultivated and i'm not saying that it started it it definitely didn't but it has really cultivated it with rpgers like why is it so um like why is it why 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 is it so uh pervasive it just becomes the default and i don't i don't like this is one default setting i first of all i object to the idea that there should be a default setting for role-playing games yes D is the big gateway drug and everybody starts at first and i didn't so i don't see why everybody has to right yeah and i i've introduced role-playing games to people that got into D later and that's fine too right D was probably my third or fourth role-playing game i played star wars first yeah and then earth dawn oh yes you want to tell <laughs> let me tell you i thought listen i thought the scenarios that's that true. that uh, jay did with us with earth dawn were interesting yeah but man that system anyway there there there, 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 there are there are worse things than D 5e 5e is perfectly playable and fun and i had a lot of fun with D 5e it is very fun i'm not saying it's not 5e and i'm not saying i won't play it in fact i was trying to like get our group to like get excited about doing um the the lord of the rings 5e because that's an ip i know the i know the lore on i i'm like an idiot in forgotten yeah. realms i don't i've never read a single book but i know other people in our group have so I'm like, hey, what if we did Lord of the Rings style? Wouldn't that be good? No, it didn't take. But um, I was interested. So I am interested in, in trying that. I just, I, I, I just think so. We're going through the cons now. We'll talk about the pros of of D and D destroying the world. So that we're being really conscious about being negative at this point in the show. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. I. Well, I mean, 
systems are one thing. Um, fantasy is another thing. Here's the other thing. It also defaults role-playing games in the fantasy. You start with the fantasy genre, right? That's where everyone starts. You start with a D20 system with a fantasy genre, which is the same thing as trying out Pathfinder first or second. It's the same thing as trying 50 other games. It's kind of done everywhere. It's kind of everywhere. And that's, that's kind of, I, I, I push back on it just because I find it a uh, pedestrian um, on its surface. So let's say when we play D and D at um, Gen Con, we knew yeah. we were going to play for a one hour or two hours, and it was going to be a, a, a random GM with random six or eight of us descending yeah. on a table and either making that GM's DM's night or ruining their night with our ridiculousness. And that's kind of how we just jumped into the pool and decided to take over the pool like a bunch of hooligans. And I loved every single time we've done that. I really enjoy that. I really enjoy that. So, um, and it wasn't the first or last time we do that. So. <clears throat> you can't really do that with other systems. Um, you can't just jump in and start goofing off like that in Mothership, right? right. You know, you have to, you know, <laughs> it just doesn't. Although, you can try. You can try. You can, you can try. try, and you'll all die. And you know, when the, when... I, I had to dial it back in our session just <laughs> yeah. a little bit. <clears throat> but that's just like an example of of maybe where, <clears throat> you know, uh, the 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 game sometimes has a level of serious. You couldn't do that with like a White Wolf game. Where so much of it is about the storytelling, mm-hmm. and the and the IP and the the IP and the, and the narrative is more important than the mechanics. But D and D, you can do that, and you, everybody's into it for an hour or an hour and a half or two hours, and then we all say goodbye and walk away from it and do something else. That's fun, right? But still, I, I, the default setting gets on gets on. Uh, I, I find it pedestrian, and I I, I, I think that the 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 gaming universe is is bigger and broader, and I. I'm still pretty myopic when it comes to sci-fi, so I can't really go that too far out there on a limb. I have a thought on that question, Justin, and I yeah. kind of agree with Dan. I think it just has kind of become the, the default. But the reason why I feel like D20 along with Dungeons & Dragons have become the default is be, is this the the owners of that have done a really good job with branding. Right. Um, really good job with marketing, using social media, using um, famous people getting them into D&D and then posting videos of that. And the other thing is the D20, the physical dice, a 20-sided dice is such a new concept to people when they first hear it mm-hmm. that it sticks with them. Mm. Uh, Mom and dad are used to rolling D6s when they play the Monopoly or their payday or, you know, whatever. They're used to rolling those D6s, any kind of game, you know, and, and uh, gambling and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Then somebody says, "Guess what? They make twenty-sided dice. What? You know, would you like it's that? So dice. stuck in your mind at that point that oh, there's yeah. the special gaming dice, D twenty, oh, yeah. that I think you've got the branding of Dungeons and Dragons, and the company's done an amazing job with that brand. Yep. And then you've got just the the shock and awe factor of breaking out of the D six, and the D twenty seems to be the first dice people hear about when they break out of a D six. Mm-hmm. It just sticks with them. Yeah." And and I have used I've described what I do even though it's not the sh- same genre not the same rule set I'm like oh I'm getting my friends together we're playing D and D it's like saying oh, I need a Kleenex or a Xerox right. I, it's right. it's another way of saying no we're playing a a, a a collaborative role playing game people go what the crap are you talking about you say oh we're playing D and D they go oh yeah 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 Stranger Things gotcha no problem mm-hmm. yep all right so let's talk about the pros of there's 
there's just as many pros. So we've been internet hate, internet hate, internet hate on the cons, and I think we've run out of cons. Now we got to talk about the pros. Who's got a pro? Well, I, think I think that yeah. Go, oh, go, go ahead. Jason. New Jason, go. I was gonna say I think one of the the great things about D and D is that they've been able to cap. And I'll kind of say the last thing I said. They've capitalized on the branding to open exposure to the rest of uh, the world to you know to realize that this is not that evil satanic thing that was happening in the basement with kids wearing black robes and listening to Metallica. You know, it's not that they've um, it. Yeah. Dungeons and Dragons and the company behind it has done such a great job in showing the world that this is something that actually brings people together. And yeah. I think that, um, you know, the powerhouse behind it uh, is enabling people to get into this industry, which, you know, whenever people come in, they also bring the money in, which they, they'll bring their money in to some degree, which helps to feed and fuel um, the the economy associated with it, so that you can get a lot more indie and and other things that pop up. Yeah, it is a extremely satisfying experience to do a great night of role playing. It and it, it can be. And I know there's a lot of tabletop board game players that I know, and they're chasing kind of a different high than a role playing game high is. But it is possible right. to open somebody up to a role playing game high, where they're like, oh, and this doesn't have to end. You can come back with this character, and the story doesn't mm-hmm. have to end, and we can keep going and going, and you can change by the story, and you can change the story. That's mind-blowing to new players. They're like, this is crazy. I could never imagine a world where, you know, the game continues for, you can count the, the length of a game in years. Yeah, unless you're playing Mothership. No, 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 no. he's not coming back. He's, 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 he's got to There's be no way he's coming back <laughs> no, from that. No, no, no. Here's another character. Here's another character. Here's another character. Yep. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was I was going to say that um, one, of the, one of the pros is that um, you have a universal base to work off of. Right. And so if you have been playing D&D for five years and, and it's funny because this is one of the cons that I was saying is that um, the the authors of some of these other systems are reskinning their their IPs to 5e so that, you know, maybe they're doing it because they need some money or they're you know trying to get more exposure. But by doing that, you're also saying, hey, look, you, me, same, same. We can. um come together on this and you get to play a brand new world but using all the rules that you know yeah you know so now you can be sci-fi you can be in space you yeah. could be in the wild west you can be in feudal japan like you could be this is like west world style stuff mm-hmm. you know what i mean like mm-hmm. there's all these different worlds that you could do and it uses the exact same rules that you know and love you don't have to go out and learn a whole new thing or your gm doesn't either and so now you can just have a different experience. You've been playing, you've been playing, you know, Forgotten Realms for five years. Let's do Feudal Japan next. Right. Fun. Yeah. You know, so, and you don't have to invest that much more other than trying to speak Japanese, maybe. We started, we, exactly. We started with, we started with fantasy. We started with, you know, Lord of the Rings type um, fantasy elves, orcs, etc. But we're gro- growing beyond that. And it does open the door up to lots of, of different things. And, you know, and hopefully the third system that they try is not, it, it has a different math, you know, a, a, a different paradigm for, for determining variance, right? Well, let me ask you this. Do you think that somebody might play, like, let's just say this. Somebody might pick up a Monty Cook game 
And they're like, this is fun. I love Numenera, but this just doesn't feel like it works 100% right. (laughs) To bail out a system that sucks. Yeah, or, or I mean, I, I don't know. Like, you know, I'm we did. Saying, we like, talked about that with Shadowrun. We, we are such yeah. a Numenera hate podcast. I know we. I, somebody's gonna. Monty Cook <laughs> is gonna. Lost another one. Monty Cook is gonna come kill us, man. He's gonna come kill us in our sleep. No. Uh, well, it, it, it's the, just the mechanics. The, we start the game. The well, game should stand on its own. Like, for, we th- we threw a lot of shade at Shadowrun, going, "Oh, we love this IP. It's so great. That's why we played the IP in another rule set that we like better." Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. And yep. people are always doing mods to 5e for their favorite thing. It's like it's not even – it's happening by itself whether or not yeah. the company's yeah. making stuff or the Kickstarters are making a hardbound book. People oh, are, people, will, uh, people will homebrew all of their Marvel – like a Marvel adventure. Exactly. You know, where you're like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or something like that. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, people are homebrewing this stuff naturally anyway without, like, it actually being done for money. Um, so yeah, you know, but I, you know, it just makes me wonder if like somebody, if, if it would work in reverse, like you try an IP in 5e and you're like, ah, this feels like it's just not in the right skin here. And let, let me go look and see how this is supposed to be played. Oh, this is a rogue trader game. Oh, this is a D 100. What's this system? Interesting. And then you play it and you're like, oh, I see now, you know, because, uh, you know, could like for let's use Rogue Trader as an example. Could Rogue Trader be a five E skin? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. you could do it. Yeah. Would it work as well? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of skills and and things that you get in a D100 game that you don't get in a D20 game, right? You're sort of limited to your abilities. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe so- it works. There's some some other interesting pros here that you're kind of touching on, and I'm going to kind of take it further out there. Yeah. They're not just the stories, but the secondary market for things to help gamers game. And this none of this crap existed in the 80s that I was aware of. I'm talking about custom dice, custom leather right. dice roller right. trays. Like, for instance, I'm going to call out a great company that I bought stuff from, Easy Roller Dice Company, easyrollerdice.com. They had a they had a booth set up at a catacon and I loved their stuff. It was gorgeous. Oh, yeah. it was really cool. They had beautiful dice, they had metal dice, they had leather dice trays, and I was like, I thought I had a nice dice tray until I looked at their dice trays and went, Wow, my dice tray sucks. Um <laughs> compared to these guys. And of course, you spend a lot of money and it all becomes very artisanal, but there's all this aftermarket stuff that's built on, you know, the standard nine dice paradigm with the four, the six, the eight, you know, going up, right? Um, There's, there's people have the ability to make money in an aftermarket way without, without taking money away from Wizards of the Coast, because they're never going to make a really lovely leather dice tray, but Easy Rider Dice Company will, and, and good for them, right? And the nice notebooks you can get. And I see these all the time with everybody trying yeah. to reinvent the character notebook. Like you can get a mole skin. I don't even know how to pronounce that right. Mole skin notebook that already has the character sheet built into it and has chapter sections mm-hmm. for you yeah. to write about your character. And there's sections for you to reference, you know, your particular class and just fall in love with the the hobby in that way. And yeah. I think that is awesome because I'm not even playing in a 5e campaign and I see this stuff advertised at me in Facebook. I go, man, I really wish I would have had that for my last warlock. That would have been great. I could have really got a lot of use out of that. 
Um, so making and let's not just talk about now. Let's talk about game tables, RPG yeah. tables for money. There's companies that exist to sell game tables that did did not exist. A game table was a pool table or a bumper bumper pool table in my right, day, right, 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 or or a, or a circle card fold up card table. Yes, that you'd be playing bridge with your friends. Right, you know? that's what a game table was. And so we, I I, I think D and D being such a central kind of uh, market. You know, these all these companies can they can pay their mortgages and their rent and stuff like that and and build things for an infinite number of interests for gamers, um, and they can benefit from it. And the gamers can benefit from it, and then the hobby benefits from it, and and Wizards of the Coast can benefit from it too, um, through that mo- inertia. So I yeah. I really like that part of D and D taking over the world actually. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely caused a you know more mainstream mainstream aspect of it. Um, uh, listen, I, I think I think another pro, um, you know, it, so <laughs> this is going to come with a little bit of a con too that we sort of touched on, but you know, it's it's forcing people who would be writing normally their um, own systems and own content to sort of conform into sort of a mainstream. Because that's where the money's at. Well, the good news is that's where the money's at. Yeah, there is money. That is a pro. Yeah, there is money there, right? And so we saw things like um, other publishers, like uh, Rob Schwab, for example. He's been working on a lot of his main projects, which is Shadow of the Demon Lord, The Weird Wizard, um, Punk Apocalyptic, and then he has also been putting out under. um, Do you remember what his name was for the? D and D stuff was it Black Cat something? Jason? Oh, I don't I don't remember off the top of my head. No. Yeah, but anyway, but he some, he yeah. kind of had like his own little quote unquote publishing name that he was putting out D and D five E content for, and some of it was a little bit of a reskin from Shadow of the Demon Lord. But I think that he took a little bit more time into saying like, here's the concept that I had used from Shadow of the Demon Lord and started from the ground up and created a 5e content module for it yeah right so he wasn't writing like full-on adventures they were more like here's a a book of beasts that you can use or here's um here's a interesting character class that you could do or here's uh you know here's um a setting that might be interesting to play in that type of thing. And he so. he's a unique unique case because he's built his own systems. His system was yep. D twenty, but it had a way of adding D sixes to probability, which I thought was great. He yep. also helped write fifth edition. Yep. Um, yep. So there's a lot of you know, that's kind of a really complex example of you know, is fifth edition is paying the bills. Like I just went on the Wormwood website and saw the photos of their, of their, of their team. They've got like 30 full-time employees to, to, for their products and their products are gorgeous and beautiful. And I think the world of them, I, I, I cannot make furniture that nice, but I'm making my own custom furniture to suit my needs. And I can't get that from Wormwood if I wanted to tomorrow. So, um, Anyway, so bully for them. I mean, it's it, I, I can't complain about a, a, a genre that's taking off so big that it's spurning all this, spurring a, a bunch of other great. Comp- yeah. All of this stuff means D and D will uh, role playing and and tabletop role playing will and and 
complicated board games yeah. will be around for another generation. That's what that means. It'll be around for yeah. another generation. It won't be us being old guys going, remember the day when we could play a role-playing game together? <laughs> and, and in this very digital electronic world, why is it that this very analog activity is blowing up? Yeah. You know, I think that's a great point. I mean, it's about the kind of the human connection that we're all sort of craving, which is another existential topic, uh, you know, but I will leave this as kind of one of my one of my final thoughts about, you know, one of the pros of this, um, which is that uh, I watched my daughter. She had her D&D session with her friends today. I watch more people gaining role playing game acumen. Yeah. Earlier on and they're much better at it you know and um like i think that my daughter's getting to be a very good role-playing you know person because she's doing it very regular she's doing it more often than i am to be honest with you she plays once a week at least you know (laughs) odd to be a teenager again oh i know exactly so she's she's doing her thing and she's having a great time with it and um you know she's developing this acumen that she has and that's going to translate into something when they're a little bit older. They're going to say, you know what? We've been doing D&D for five years throughout high school, in the college. What's next out there? Yeah. So I think that this is the um, – we, we've been talking about this as sort of the golden age of uh, RPGs. I don't. I think the sun's just, just, rising just rising on the golden age because I think what's going to happen is it's going to come up – and there's going to be people that you know have have really attuned themselves to say, I'm a good role player. I've been learning this the basics on an easy to learn system, you know. And so there's sort of the there's sort of the mechanics of D and D five e, but there's also the social aspect of role playing, right? Like yeah. how do you feed off of each other? How do you work, interact? And then to be able to take all of that that you learn and translate that into a D100 game or a, or a, or narrative dice game yeah. or something else, I think that we're going to see an explosion of other RPGs that are out there. And some of them may be like all 5e based, but some of them won't be. Yeah. And I think there's going to be a, a cascading waterfall effect that we'll see into other systems. And, you know, um, we talked about the creativity factor that you know it's it's unfortunate because you know if some people are putting time into doing 5e they may not be putting time into doing their own innovation and in, right. in this but you know what it's going to pay the bills to allow them to do that i think eventually i have i have two more points i want to say first of all how crazy and amazing is it that i live in a world where a 15-year-old teenage girl can run her own D group and have that not be yeah. weird or strange um, because I remember being a senior in high school and our pro- my, my role-playing game group, we were all hanging out in my buddy's living room and we all had our books out and all of our prom dates were in a car together. They got out of a car and they came to the front door and there was this moment when we looked at each other and went, do, what do we do? do? Let's hide them. Let's hide them. Let's hide them. And I was the idiot that said, no, we've got to be ourselves around these girls. Big mistake in 1993. Big mistake. <laughs> they came in and ripped us a new one and then ski-daddled. Um, so that was, wow. uh, yeah, true story. True story. I, I'm friends with all of them on Facebook now. Uh, I hope they're listening. Uh, the other, the other, I hope they're listening too. The other big point, exactly. Well, we probably lost him as soon as we started talking about, uh, racial abilities, right? Um, here's a, here's another big 
point that it just occurred to me that I forgot. One of the reasons why I got into public policy was that it was easy to get into after learning role-playing games, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, like you, learning public policy was, uh, if you've gone up the learning curve to, to get an obscure role-playing book and figure out how it works and understand the role system and the intricacies, you can pretty much get into it. You know, you're ready for law school, basically, is what I'm saying. And I know that's been re- reductive of people who went to law school and have a JD. But uh, I make my money on the idea of public policy. I make my living in public policy, and I probably wouldn't have approached it in the same way that I did if it wasn't for role-playing games. Oh, my gosh, I'm working in, in my... Ah, I can't believe that my profession and my hobbies are that closely connected but they are do you roll dice to make decisions um (laughs) i i was in charge of a a coop exercise continuity of operations exercise and i need a randomizing element and i didn't want to creep everybody out with dice so i used a 50 uh, i used a card deck and they loved it like I passed out cards to figure out who was alive and who was dead. I was like, everybody with a spade, you're now dead. You can walk out of the room. And my bosses were so into that. And I, I just smiled. The fact that I played a giant RPG at work it was so great. That's cool. Yeah, true story. Well, we've beaten this one to death. The horse is now dead. D&D taking over everything. Are we going to say net thumbs up or net thumbs down? I said we just ride the wave and uh, see where it takes us. Yeah. Okay, I'll answer my own question. I'll say net thumbs up. Not perfect, but thumbs up. It's absolutely beneficial to the industry. It's a thumbs up on my side for sure. I'm going to give, since we're doing thumbs, I'm going to give the Emperor from Gladiator wavering thumb. (laughs) The wavering, the side thumb. Yeah, the side thumb looking around. And the cut out before actually actual decision. Okay. So it, it's a wavering. <laughs> it could go south yeah. is what you're saying. And on that note. It, which means he's going to be right no matter what happens. Be like, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. He had such foresight, that Justin. Such foresight. Yeah. No wavering. decision is a decision. Well, this has been lovely. Yeah. Yep. Dan, thank you for the topic. Uh, you suggested a couple other good ones for us, so... For our listen, listeners out there, stay tuned, and you know maybe we will get into D&D and race stuff. Or maybe not. Or maybe not. Or not. You're just going to have to stick around and find out. So thank you for listening, and have a great night. Night-a-night. See you, everybody.